This evening, another song of ascent, Psalm 126, Psalm 126. The song of ascent. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said, among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has great, done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, we bless you for our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that in him all of Scripture speaks. And we pray now that we would see him, the one who is your dear beloved son, the son of your bosom, the son who has come to this earth, the one who has sowed in tears, and the one who is reaping the harvest. Father, you have said to him that you would give him a great inheritance, indeed, the ends of the earth. And so we pray that even this evening the harvest might be brought in and that Christ Jesus might be exalted more and more. He might be lifted high in all our hearts and our souls and lives. To his praise and glory, amen. Perhaps you have, can look back on occasions where it was like a dream come true. Days that were filled with joy and laughter because a marvelous thing, a marvelous reversal of circumstances. Tears and grief were replaced with joy and gladness when the Lord intervened to bring restoration. Whether that restoration was of a broken relationship with a spouse, a child, a sick body, or a troubled soul, whatever it might be, they were like a dream come true. And your heart was glad and rejoiced. But that was then, and things have changed. The joy and laughter of past days may now not characterize your present situation. Because of some new adversity or trial or some trauma. Like the psalmist, a prayer of restoration may now be the cry of your heart. So let's follow the psalmist as he stands on Mount Zion. He is there with all the saints of Israel and he is now teaching us how we might overcome present adversity by remembering the past, by praying for the future. And so this evening we consider yet another psalm in this small hymn book of the pilgrim. And we'll see how it's more than just a hymn book. It's also a spiritual journey of all true pilgrims. A psalm, a journey, a journal we can all relate with. So first, remembering the joy of the past. 
Notice how the psalmist speaks that way. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. As the psalmist stands in the magnificent city of Jerusalem, he reflects back on the fact that the Lord has done something wonderful, magnificent, so spectacular that now their mouths are filled with joy and with laughter. In verses 1 through 3, he is looking back at a time when God's people knew his favor in the midst of trouble. He puts it this way, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. Now we're not given a specific situation here or historic reference to this restoration. The phrase restored the fortunes, though, is used repeatedly in the Psalms and the prophets. Psalm 14, verse 7, we have that language. Oh, that, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion when the Lord restores the fortunes of his people. Let Jacob rejoice, let Israel be glad. Psalm 85, 1, you see the same in Jeremiah 29, 14, Amos, Zephaniah. Now often it has been understood to have a narrow meaning of restoration from captivity as we've been singing these psalms this evening. But such a return would only be one instance of how the fortunes of Israel have been restored. The redemption out of Egypt would be another restoration of fortunes. Now we don't know the particulars of this restoration, the deliverance of the children of Israel out of exile, but it is a great reference as we have sung. Perhaps the psalmist is looking back to the past when, when he's thinking of the Babylonian captivity and how God brought them back and he's elated. They are back now in Jerusalem. Who would have thought something like that would occur or could ever occur? He looks back at this major shift from God's heavy hand to his favor. And he is full of joy. From the consequences of sin to now blessings from their covenant Lord. From mourning to rejoicing. And notice the language. We were like those who dream. We are like those who dream. Who could hardly believe it? Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Perhaps you've had this experience. Maybe someone told you about it in the middle of the night. You heard your spouse or your child burst into laughing. And you would like to join them in their laughter. You don't know why they're laughing. But you would like to at least know the reason. But you won't because... They wouldn't take kindly to be woken up. And if you did, they probably wouldn't remember. But there are times like that. But what a difference we have in our text. The restoration of fortunes was like those who dream. But they did wake up, finding it to be a reality, a glorious reality. And the result was that their mouth was filled with laughter, the psalmist says. 
their mouths were so full that they couldn't hold it in any longer. And their tongues shouted with joy. And when they considered the glory of all, it was so overwhelming. It was so overwhelming because the unexpected happened. Now just think of Israel, all those 70 years in Babylon, not able to worship in Jerusalem, not able to gather with the saints in the place where God had called them, no temple, no priesthood, no sacrifice. But now, today, they were back in Zion, in the city of God, no longer exiles, but now they were singing the songs of Zion, and they were rejoicing in their God. And they were in the great assembly of the people of God. How glorious. And what words could express then their joy and their laughter against the backdrop of the former bondage? And did you notice that laughter, that joy, that exaltation of what God had done was not kept private? Notice at the end of verse 2, they said, then they said among the nations, the Lord has great, done great things for them. The nations even understood who is Israel's God, that he has done such marvelous things. To which Israel replies, the Lord has done great things for us. And we are glad. We are glad. This is the glorious picture then of God's redemption, his salvation, his turning from wrath to grace. A movement so extravagant that the words can't quite capture it. The only response, really, of those who grasp the wonder of it all is joy and laughter. Do you ever laugh when you contemplate the great things God has done? Do you ever think and meditate upon what God has done for you, for your family, for your church, for your friends, and your heart is filled with laughter? There's joy on your tongue. How he has brought you from the far country, as we heard already this evening, and he has prospered you now by his grace. Times of restoration. Great reversal of events. Unexpected providences of God from the hand of your Lord. And you have said, this is like a dream come true. A dream come true. And laughter and joy can be seen and heard. And I hope you all said yes, because if you're a Christian this evening, this is what you have known. You have been restored by the Lord. He has restored your fortunes. He has brought you from exile, from the land of the east, and have brought you home. He has brought you from exile, from the kingdom of darkness, and he has brought you into the kingdom of the Son, in whom there is the forgiveness of sins. The Lord has restored your fortunes. And that all came about because the greatest reversal of fortunes. The Son 
of God left his glorious home and he went into a far country and he joined himself to us by adding to himself our human nature becoming like us identifying with us and he joined himself in our common flight by taking upon himself our sin willing as we heard this morning and as we see at the table willing to suffer the shame and the guilt for our sins so that our fortunes could be reversed in order that we who were formerly as paul calls us children of wrath might now become the children of the living god adopted in the adopted son our lord jesus christ because of his everlasting love the fortunes our fortunes have been restored and if you think of Psalm 126, where it is in the Psalter, where it is in history, if this psalmist reflects on the past and his soul wells up within him with joy and laughter, and it's so obvious to the outside world, the nations around, they see him. They see Israel rejoice as they all go up to the house of the Lord. Shouldn't that reality be so much greater for us, for you and me? As our neighbors, our friends, as they see us rejoicing in the Lord, coming to the house of the Lord, gathering with the people of God, offering the sacrifice of praise, not a toil and a labor, but a joy and gladness. I wonder if they see it in you. I wonder if they hear the laughter in your heart and upon your lips. But we join the psalmist, don't we, in celebrating the blessings of the past. We look back and we say, God, you have restored our fortunes. Not just once, but repeatedly. The Lord has great, done great things for us, and we are glad. We are glad. And so we remember the joy of the past. But the psalmist continues. And this draws him to ask then for the restoration of blessing in the present. Verse 4. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. And so in verse 4, the psalmist quite abruptly now moves from a joyful, dreamy, we might say, recollection of the restoration of past blessings to ask for the same restoration of fortunes in the present. Do you remember in Ezra and Nehemiah? I think you all studied Nehemiah. Is that right? Uh, just a little bit. Just a little bit, okay. But do you remember in your reading of Ezra and Nehemiah, when the exiles returned to Jerusalem, it didn't mean the end of trials, did it? They were there, they're filled with joy, but that joy quickly turned for them to mourning. Yes, they celebrated the great redemption, but they looked around and they saw all the disaster around them, the walls that had broken, been broken down, the burned buildings, the gates, and they need to be rebuilt. The temple needed to be rebuilt, and even as they rebuilt it, it wasn't like the former glory of the old temple, and they wept 
the land needed to be worked and there were enemies all around. And it brought them much grief and sorrow. And clearly like the pilgrim here, he finds himself in a difficult place. It was clear that the restoration that they had received was not yet complete. It was great, but it wasn't final glory. And so he prays. And it's plain for all to see, as evident as he cried out, Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. And so his prayer echoes remembrances of the past. The Negev was in the southern part of Israel, and it's a desert. In the summer, the wadis are dry, they're parched. And spiritually, the psalmist is saying, that's where I am. My heart is parched. And that's why I'm praying, Lord, restore the fortunes like streams in the Negev. When the winter rains would come, these wadis would overflow their banks and, and almost overnight the grass would turn green and the flowers would grow. And he's praying, Lord, Lord, would you do that for me? Please, Lord, do that. Bring me fortunes. You've done it before. Will you restore my fortunes now? Will you give me the joy and the laughter so that my mouth will speak your praise, that my mouth will shout with joy. Now, perhaps some of you are in that condition even this evening. Perhaps your heart is feeling with the psalmist. You can feel his pain. You can hear his prayer because it's your prayer, and this is your story, this is your psalm. We know the refreshing rains of God's grace. He has shown himself to be so kind and gracious to us over and over and over again. And yet, we still suffer. We're in hardship. We've known God's grace and his mercy through difficult circumstances in the past, only to find ourselves in another crisis. And it's life under the sun. So what do you do? What do you do? You join the psalmist in praying to the Lord. And notice in your text how the Lord is capitalized, meaning this is Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, the one who always remains loyal. Or Psalm 136, his steadfast love does not fail. His steadfast love continues forever and forever. This is who the psalmist is praying to. He has done surprising things for you in the past. And he's able to repeat his mercies in the present. And you know, we have seen far more of the actions of God on behalf of God's people than the psalmist did. We have seen the death and the resurrection and the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. We know, we've heard his words, it is finished we still want more, don't we? We want to be done with our sin. We want to be done with our failings once for all. We want to be done with the struggles of life, the temptations, the hardships. We want to see peace upon Israel. And so we pray. 
we pray. And we'll continue to pray, Lord, Yahweh, my covenant Lord, restore the fortunes of Zion like streams in the Negev. You can pray that, can't you? A simple prayer. But a prayer that will be heard. A prayer that will be answered. The poor man cried, the psalmist says. The Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. So first, remembering the joy in the past, praying for joy in the present, and lastly, believing the promise of joy in the future. Look at verse 5 and 6. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Now, how can, the, how can the psalmist be so confident that he cries for the restoration or knowing that the restoration will be answered, that his prayers will be heard? He says, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. Well, first, as we have said, he has experienced God's restoration in the past. And he's remembering them, and he knows that his God is faithful. He is Yahweh, the covenant Lord, the faithful one. He has been restored, and therefore he knows he will again be restored. It is as certain, he is saying, as seed time giving way to harvest. And abundance eventually coming after a drought. He shall reap with shouts of joy. He's so confident because his confidence is in his Lord. But not only is he confident that God will bless with the promise of joy of laughter, he is also confident that such blessings will come, note this, through many tears. Through many tears. He will sow in tears, he says. We will live at times in a parched land where there is no water. The road of glory is one that is promised to be one of suffering and hardship. Moses tells us in the 90th Psalm that the years of our life are 70, but by reason of strength, perhaps 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. And they are soon gone. They fly away. Or Job tells us that man is born to trouble as sparks fly upward. It will happen. This is man's lot in life under the sun. But this is what the psalmist wants you never to forget. Never to forget. Never to forget the suffering itself has blessing. It is there's a promise within the suffering. Those who sow in tears shall reap the harvest of joy. That's beautiful. See how they're paired together so nicely? And this is what life is under the sun. God cares. He loves his children. And he promises us that it is through tears as we sow with tears, we shall reap the harvest of joy. 
And as we persevere by God's grace, we shall celebrate. Now, how can we be so certain of this? How can we know this to be true? The answer? Because we've already seen the restoration of our fortunes. Notice the language of verses 5 and 6. There is a pronounced shift from where the psalmist moves from speaking in the first person, plural, to the third person, singular. Those who sow in tears, he who goes out weeping. Do you see that shift? Who do you think the he is in verse 6? It's ultimately the man of sorrows. The one acquainted with grief. Isaiah 53. Psalm 126 is the psalm that our Lord Jesus Christ prayed as he went up to Jerusalem. You know, in Mark's or John's gospel, perhaps, that John marks his gospel with all these time markers. Those time markers were the festivals of Israel. Well, they're festivals of Israel. And it was at those times that the Lord would grow up to go up to Jerusalem. And the last time marker in John's gospel is the time when our Lord Jesus Christ went for the last Passover feast. When he entered into Jerusalem and he burst into tears that streamed down his face. We've heard his cries for help in Psalm 69. We've heard his final cry in Psalm 22. And we remember his words in John that was recorded by the Apostle John. Truly, truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. John 12, 24. And that's what our text says. These are words upon our Lord's lips as he goes to Jerusalem, as he goes to the cross on Calvary. He goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing. This was the one who entered Jerusalem with tears and was sown as a seed and it bore a harvest according to his own word. And on the third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and he sits now at the right hand of majesty himself. It is he who has been anointed Lord over all and has been given the nations for his inheritance, his harvest field. He has gone home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. And what a harvest it was. Luke, you can imagine, could hardly wait to record the acts of 
Christ Jesus through the apostles. And the harvest continues. In a matter of weeks, Luke tells us in Luke chapter 4, verse, uh, 2, verse 4, 41, 3,000 were added to the church. In chapter 5, another 5,000 were added to the church. And then Luke forgets that word added, and he tells us that the church multiplied exponentially. Yes, and millions upon millions have been added to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ since. And if you are a believer in Christ Jesus this evening, by his grace you have been brought into that great rejoicing, even as he continues to rejoice, bringing in the sheep. So how do we know that God will bring grace and salvation to his people? How do we know that he'll restore our fortunes? Because by faith we have seen the man of sorrows. High now and lifted up. Highly exalted. And we are part of his harvest. And this is our future. This is our joy. This is our laughter through the road, though the road is filled with tears and sadness, we weep in faith. And we shall reap with shouts of joy. That's what our pilgrim guide experienced as he worshipped in Jerusalem. And so do we here this evening. And that's why worship is so crucial. Each Lord's Day, as we gather together, we are experiencing a few moments of the joy of the future that is ours in Christ Jesus. There's nothing better in all the world that's going on right this moment than the worship of our holy triune God as the people of God join together in his worship. We are experiencing the joy of the future of being in the land of paradise. It is here that we're given courage to go back tomorrow to our labors. So wherever it might be, it is here that God promises us that though we serve and sow with tears, this will not be the ultimate. Our life here below is not the ultimate. No, things won't always be this way. And so worship recalibrates our thinking, our minds. It turns them upward and forward. It gives us perspective. It reminds us that the Lord has done great things for us. And we are glad. And the full harvest is surely coming. Today, is a foretaste of that glory which is ours in Christ, the eternal rest, when we're home. And as the Apostle John loves to remind us, every tear will be wiped away. No more sorrow, no more pain. Our Lord Jesus will then have brought in the last sheaf. And may God, by his grace, continue to bless us, 
As your pastor prayed that he would encourage us, strengthen our faith, so that we might understand that the present time is a time of suffering. But built into that suffering is the promised blessing that just as our Savior experienced the pains of this life, the tears of sowing, but was raised to glory, so you, as you follow him, you will experience that same glory. And so remembering the joy of the past, as you think about what God has done for you this week, praying for the joy in the present, as we all endure the difficulties, the hardships, the crises of a life under the sun, but believing the promise of joy in the future, you will be like those who dream. And it will come true. That should fill your mouth with laughter and your tongue with shouts of joy. Father, we bless you that you have restored our fortunes in Christ Jesus. We thank you that by faith in him, we are brought into union with the one who was sown as a seed, who died so that he might bring forth the great harvest. We thank you, Lord, that you have done marvelous things for us. And we pray that as we follow hard after him, our lives might be like his. And so give us grace, Lord, that in our time of crises, we might think back of your blessings upon us, how you've brought us from darkness to light, from death to life in Christ, and how, Lord, your hand is not shortened that it will not save, that you're the God who will restore our fortunes and one day will ultimately do that. We thank you that you have given us faith in Christ Jesus so that we might see the path forward as we see our Lord and our Savior exalted at your right hand. So Father, help us then that we too might live the life of faith, that we might be self giving, self-sacrificing, and even as we labor then in sowing in tears, whatever it might be in our families, in the ministry, in the world for our colleagues and friends, Lord, as we suffer and die, we might know there'll be a harvest. And so give us faith to believe and give us words to speak, your own words, that you, Lord, will restore the fortunes of Zion. So bless your people now, even as we partake of the meal, may we do it with laughter upon our hearts and joy upon our tongues, for you have done great things. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul.